If you have your uh, Bibles with you or maybe your device, would you go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 4 as we continue learning uh, this Old Testament story, the life and, of, of Daniel. Um, <clears throat> life, a lot of us uh, know this to be true, that life can change in a blink of an eye. And, and a lot of times we reserve uh, that saying for the bad things that happen in, in our life. Maybe it's the, you know, the, the doctor's office calls and gives us the report, or it's the police department knocking upon your door, or the boss comes and says, hey, can we come, can you come and talk in our office, my office for a little while? That's never good news, right? Um, But uh, those sudden changes in our life can also be good news. Um, Maybe it's somebody saying, hey, uh, we're expecting, or uh, we're getting married, or the test did come back, and there's no sign of cancer anymore. Those good things, right? I remember early in my uh, ministry, we were in our first church, and we were praying uh, with the people in the congregation, and every once in a while, they would come up to me, and they would uh, share the loved one and say, hey, pastor, would you pray for so-and-so? They grew up in this church, and they just kind of turn their back and they're, they're not following God anymore. And I've had those conversations with people in this sanctuary as well. And it seemed uh, like they were just coming all the time with this, the list of people. And so I was praying for them one afternoon early in the week. And as I was praying, I saw this candle. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, hey, uh, Brian, I want you to get a list from your congregation. I want to get a list of all of those that they've been praying for, all of those people in their life that need to have a saving relationship with Jesus. And I want you to get that list. And then I want you to put this candle in the church. And every time that uh, one of those people comes to know me, every time one of those people starts following me, I want you to light that candle. And that candle would be an opportunity for the congregation to see God work. It was later on in that week, and I was uh, writing my sermon, and I felt like the Lord said to me, not audibly that day, but just asking me, how come you haven't put a candle out yet? How come you haven't uh, put that candle, made that plan, find the candle? You know, you haven't even thought about that since I talked to you about it. And, and I didn't have an answer for him, except I already had in mind what my sermon was going to be for that week, and it really wasn't an evangelistic sermon, and so I thought I'd just wait for a more appropriate weekend to do that, and the rebuke from God hit me pretty hard. I felt like he was saying to me, you're going to wait a week to start praying for the lost? Are you serious? And so I found that candle, and I made a bunch of cards for the congregation, and I changed my sermon uh, midweek, and that Sunday we collected all those names. It was a smaller church. There was only about 45 names or so on that list, and we ended the service by praying for them, and we prayed for all these lost loved ones and their salvation, and immediately after the service, I quickly typed it out, and I printed it, and I put it on my desk, and I was prepared to give it to the congregation that evening. So job done, I did what God had asked me to do, went home for lunch, and about 10 minutes after I arrived at home, my phone rang. The voice on the other side wasn't somebody that I had recognized, Uh, I had never met this person before, their name rang a bell, I didn't know them though, 
And I'm not going to go into details of the conversation, but at the conclusion of that phone call, that gentleman on the other end surrendered his life to Christ. He committed himself to follow Jesus. And and I'm telling you, there is no better feeling than that, of leading somebody uh, to the saving belief, that saving grace of Jesus. To know that they once were lost, but now they're found. Nothing is better than that. It's an addicting feeling. And and if you know, you know, right? I shared the news with Carol. We prayed for this individual, and we went about our day. You can probably see where this story is going, right? That evening, I got back to church, and I got that list out once again that we completed that morning. And about halfway down the list was this man's name. Hmm. Is a, it was as if God was telling me, the pastor of the church, do you see what happens when my people pray? Can you see what's going to happen here? Go and get that candle. Light it, Brian. Can you imagine the surprise of that congregation that evening when they came back into church and the candle was already lit? Wow, that was quite a Sunday. I want you to imagine those people in our life, your life, those people, even maybe the person you think, they're, they're, they are beyond hope. I mean, the, this person is so far away from Jesus. I want you to picture that person. I want you to think about that person today. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your family. Maybe they just like those stories of, of that other church. Maybe it's people that used to attend here. Maybe it's people that uh, grew up in your house and they know all about Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. Maybe that's the name and the face that's coming to your mind today. So um, I've had numerous conversations with people around here and our pastors have the opportunity of we we get your your prayer list. And sometimes uh, those of you on your connection card, your communication card, you write out names of people that you want us to pray for. And, and we do that and we spend time doing that. But think about that person and ask yourself, what would it take? What would it take for that person to come to Christ? Well, certainly God is going to have to humble their heart. God is going to have to work in their life. But God also needs a trusted servant that's going to be brave enough to open up their mouths and say to them what needs to be said. And so we're going to go through this story, continue our story of Daniel, uh, and revisit the king that he was serving, the, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, this earthly king, this powerful king. And once again, this king has had a dream, and he asked Daniel to interpret it for him. Now, in this story, there's a lot of discrepancy on exactly when this story happened. Uh, Some people think that it happened very recently after the first dream that Daniel interpreted, but a lot of scholars think it was probably, we've probably spanned about 40 years now that Daniel has been in exile in Babylon. But either way, remember what has happened so far. Daniel and his friends have been kidnapped after the Babylonian Empire went and they they attacked uh, Israel. And in the process, they took some of the best of the best. They took the cream of the crop of these Israelite people and they brought them back to Babylon, kidnapped them, and they tried to assimilate them 
into the Babylonian culture. And early on, Daniel had the opportunity to interpret a disturbing dream for the king. And Daniel and his friends were rewarded with better jobs in the kingdom and prestigious jobs as king's advisors. And even though they were living in a different country and even though they lived in a different uh, uh, culture, they maintained their Jewishness. They still followed the Jewish laws. They still kept their Jewish identity. And remember last week, the story of Daniel's friends, they were thrown into that fiery furnace after they refused to bow down to that idol that the king had made. And when the king saw how the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God, when he saw how our God saved them from certain death in that fire without having their their clothes singed or even smelling like smoke, the king made this Uh, made this declaration. It's found in the very end of Daniel chapter 3. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar said. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses burned into piles of rubble for no other God can save that way. And I'm sure God said, "Uh, thanks, I guess, (laughs) right? Um, Now, fast forward, probably about 20 years from then, and uh, we're now in Daniel chapter 4. And in this chapter, if you're reading along, all of a sudden the, the narrator, the person telling the story changes, and, and it's not this uh, person telling the story of Daniel, all of a sudden now it's King Nebuchadnezzar himself that is writing these words. And so Daniel chapter 4 verse 1, or verse 4, sorry, says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at my home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Everything's going well. Everything's going great. I had a dream that made me afraid. And I was lying in in bed and the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all of the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. Sounds familiar. He's done this before, right? All when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. And finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. So Nebuchadnezzar (coughs) envisions this large tree in his dream. It's this huge tree. It's strong and it's powerful and it's reaching all the way up into the sky. And this uh, this tree was full of fruit and it it provided uh, food for everybody that lived under this tree. And its leaves sheltered all the animals and all the people that were around. And then in verse 13, he says this. There before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. And he called in a loud voice, cut down the tree, trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground and the grass and the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. 
Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of people. So Daniel has to interpret this dream, and he's talking to the king, and he has to tell the king, O king, you are that tree. You are great and you are strong and you look over the entire land and because of you, everyone is prosperous and they they have food and they have shelter. But you have also seen the king, the real king, the God, the most high God, and he is going to cut that tree down. But Daniel tells him also that there's hope, there's time for action. Um, he, He says it's time for you to change your ways. Verse 27, Daniel says this, your majesty be pleased and accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. And if you read the rest of the story, The king ignores Daniel's advice. And in verse 29, it says, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Verse 31 Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all nations on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven from his people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails were like the claws of a bird. It wasn't until Nebuchadnezzar reached the lowest state in his life. His kingdom was gone. He'd gone mad. His, his, uh, he was in the fields with the animals. The king was literally eating grass with other livestock. He had to lose everything before he said, God, Daniel's God, the most high God is infinitely bigger than me. It's not about me at all. God is greater. He is the one that's the ultimate ruler. And next to him, I am I'm nothing. Well, after the king says that, it, Scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of details, but he reclaims his kingdom, but he doesn't reclaim his pride. As far as we know, he still followed God. He still believed in God. We, we don't know. God now has humbled this once great and powerful man that thought he was above everything else. He thought he was the most high God. The Bible says that pride goes before the fall, and this is certainly the case for Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of the chapter, 
we will read the king saying these words. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. Because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Hmm. It's quite an ending to the story. And after this, in, in, verse, or in chapter 5, we don't see him anymore. His son is going to be king now. So we're not sure exactly what's happened in the, the end of his life. But here is a king that was humbled. And in the end, he's giving credit and giving glory to God. And as you think about the person that God brought to your mind just a little while ago, isn't that what you want to happen to them? Isn't that your prayer for them as well? Certainly, we don't want them to have to hit rock bottom in order to come to Christ, but sometimes that's exactly what it takes. And we recognize, as did Daniel, that for the king to come to believe in God, that king is going to have to be knocked down a few times. And as wonderful as this story is about the king exalting and glorifying uh, the most high God, the king of heaven, this story isn't about Daniel. It isn't about King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it was Nebuchadnezzar's story to tell, but the story isn't about him at all. It's about God. It's about a servant who was obedient enough to do what God told him to do, even when it was a difficult thing to say. So we're going to rewind just a little bit, and we're going to look at Daniel's response his reaction when the king summonsed him and he interpreted that dream. Think about what was going on here again. Here is this king, the king who has kidnapped Daniel, <clears throat> removed him from his country, removed him from his culture, removed him from his family, almost killed him once already in a blind rage. He threw his best three friends into a furnace, for crying out loud, and when Daniel hears the king's dream, he realizes that this dream is, is an upcoming judgment against the guy who's responsible for all of that. Now, I doubt there'd be anybody that would chastise Daniel if he started to snicker under his breath a little bit as he, as he told the king what awaited him. None of us would blame Daniel if he thought to himself, you are getting exactly what you deserve, right? Not Daniel. Verse 19 says, then Daniel, who's also called uh, Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. And Daniel, Belteshazzar, answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. In other words, he's saying, I wish this wasn't you. I wish you didn't have to go through this. No one would question Daniel if he had this desire for retribution against this king, but we find none of that in his words to the king. We don't see that. We don't read that at all. In fact, uh, if you want to write this down, number one, Daniel treated the king with compassion. 
we find in the story this level of compassion that is kind of difficult maybe for us to understand. I, I think that Daniel is genuinely concerned for the king. I think Daniel wanted the king to come to know God. I, I think he wanted the king to give his life over to God. But because of this dream, he knew for this king to be humbled, everything is going to have to change. For this king to be humbled and come to God, everything's going to have to be different. And Daniel knew this king is going to have to suffer and suffer greatly. And I really do think that he wished that there was another way for the king to come to God without all the suffering attached to it. But even with his concern and his compassion, he doesn't withdraw the warning. He, Daniel doesn't speak comfort to the king. Number two, he doesn't sugarcoat the caution. He spoke with conviction. He speaks the truth and he appeals to this king to, to repent before he's humiliated. He's saying there's still time. You can turn away from your sins if Daniel's not vindictive, nor is he quiet in this situation. He calls the king to repent for his pride. He, he tells the king, if you would just bow before God, while this dream is still a dream, it's not yet reality, there's still hope, there's still a chance. And I believe in this there's a lesson for us. Daniel knew that ignoring the king, ignoring God, was not going to turn out well for King Nebuchadnezzar. And you and I know that too. You and I know that when we think about the person that God has brought us to our mind, we know that if they ignore Christ, that it's not going to turn out well for them in the end. I remember a time many years ago, Carol had a co-worker and he got sick and after a very lengthy battle, he passed away. Now, sadly, he didn't know the Lord when he died. Carol's co-workers gathered together and they were trying to console each other by saying, and maybe you have said, or maybe you have heard this as well, well, at least he's not suffering any longer. And it made Carol inside want to scream. She knew the consequence of, of living a life, ignoring the invitation of salvation. She knew where he was at. And the reality of hell is not something that we often want to talk about, but it has to be said. Friends, we may shy away from telling our friends and family about Jesus because we want to spare their feelings or we don't want to upset them. We don't want to ruin our friendship with them, but... Think about how uncompassionate could we possibly be by not warning somebody of the upcoming doom. Daniel didn't want that king to suffer for ignoring God, but he was brave enough to share with him the consequences and to, and to plead with him to repent and make things right with God. Daniel knew that God had sent him to that king for a reason. He was there for a reason. And his job was to speak the truth and love to the king. But Daniel also knew that he was not responsible for the king's response. See, Daniel knew that he had a job to do, and he knew that God had a job to do. 
And so number three, Daniel did his part and he let God do his. Listen, I know speaking about Jesus to, to somebody isn't easy and, and, I, and I know that it can make us nervous, but let me take some pressure off of you today. Your evangelism has never and never will be good enough. It never will be eloquent enough. It never will be captivating enough by itself to win anyone to Jesus. That may sound bad, but frankly, it's because that's not your job. It's, it's not your responsibility. Are you supposed to be part of the process? Yes. Are you supposed to open your mouth? Yes. <clears throat> but you can never make someone follow Christ. It's their decision, and it's God has a job to do. It's your job to faithfully proclaim the gospel to them. God's job is to graciously and mercifully work through what you say to them. So here's what happened to Daniel in, in chapter 4. And we see that in, in various places also throughout Scripture. There's a story in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul and his followers... They were on one of their missionary journeys and they find themselves on the seashore of a town named Philippi. They expected to go to the seashore and to find some, some quiet and some peace and a place where they could pray, but instead they found a group of women working. I don't mean that to sound bad. They wanted peace and quiet. Instead, they found a group of women. Not, not, not saying anything, but what scripture says, all right? All right, <clears throat> listen to what the author Luke and how he tells this story. Acts 16, verse 13. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, which means that she was Jewish, but she didn't know of Jesus yet. And then he wrote... The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And if you go on with that story, it says that Lydia and her family were then baptized. You see, Paul knew his job, but he allowed God to do his job as well. Paul was not responsible for the women's response to the gospel. And it's a good thing because most of the women that day ignored it. If uh, Paul was going to be graded on how many people responded to his message, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, failed. And he failed miserably because only one of those women were converted that day. And so if Paul was responsible for their conversion, Paul fails. But Paul didn't receive a grade based on the number of people that responded to him. He knew his job was to proclaim the good news, to share about Jesus, and then allow God uh, to convict and pull the people towards him. See, Paul's role was to give her the gospel message. The Lord's role was to bring Lydia to a place and work on her heart so that it was humble enough so that she could listen to his message, so that it would be open enough so that she could receive that message and respond to it with repentance and, and faith. There's a 
Anglican priest and theologian, his name is John Stott, and he wrote about that verse, that, that story in Acts. He said, although the message was Paul's, the saving initiative was God's. Paul's preaching was not effective in itself, but the Lord worked through it. And maybe that might take a little bit of pressure off of us. My job as a pastor is the same as, as your job. Our role is to speak the gospel truth whenever and wherever we can do it with compassion and conviction. And then to pray that God is going to be at work in opening that person's heart. Many years ago, there was a friend of mine that came to my office to, to talk to me. Life had dealt him a series of, of events and life was just kind of wearing him down and he's pretty depressed. And he came to my office to talk, but in reality, he came to my office that day to complain and to complain about life. And frankly, he was complaining about God. He wanted to complain about God to the only person that, that he knew that just might have uh, an audience with God. Maybe I could do something about it. I don't know. I listened to my friend as he became angrier and angrier at God and blamed God and said, God is turning his back on him. God is forgetting all about him. He, he's blaming God for all the bad things in his life. And as he was talking, it, it became obvious to me that he was crediting himself for everything good that happened in his life, but yet wanted to blame God for everything that was bad. So eventually I stopped him and asked him a question and just say, could it be that God has tried to get your attention for years now? And could it be that you're expecting the creator of the world to worship you? And to bring you gifts and blessings to, to prove to you that he loves you. He told him that he, God has already given you his son. And perhaps it's time that you stop treating God as if he is your butler. See, God was wise enough to give you his son before you ever needed a savior. God was wise enough to give you his son thousands of years before you were born. So perhaps he knows what he's doing. Maybe it's time to surrender instead of fight. My friend's head dropped and tears came to his eyes and he realized at that moment what he had been doing. Long story short, he became a Christian that day. He gave his life over to the one that moments before blamed for everything bad that has happened in his life. Now, I don't normally um, advocate such an in-your-face method of evangelism. Maybe that's not your style, or maybe that's not the, the, the way to do it. Sometimes, though, we have to speak truth and we have to do it in love. We got to say things that are going to be hard to say. But we always have to do it with compassion and conviction. And in that situation, in that day, in that time, he needed to hear the truth, even if it hurt him. If God can humble the most powerful king this king of Babylon, and then raise him up so that he would praise him and worship him, 
then God can certainly do it for the person you've been thinking about. Daniel do, knew that, and so he spoke with, to the king with compassion and conviction. He's, a, he's also the God who could open up the heart of that businesswoman on that seashore that day long ago and <clears throat> so that she would place her faith in his son. Paul knew that. And so he opened up his mouth and he told Lydia the gospel. And God is a God who in our day is still able to work in the lives of the people that we love, people that are around us, and he is preparing them right now. He's preparing their hearts now so that they would be ready when they hear the gospel. So your job and mine is not to convert them. Your job and mine is to communicate the good news, is to communicate the gospel. God is big enough to do the rest. And so today in that bulletin, and we talked about it, we referred to it, there's that sheet of paper in there. Our band is going to come to the platform, and they're going to lead us in a closing song. And while they're singing, I want you to think of a, of a couple things here today. Um, you're going to hear some familiar words in the, this song. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I, I want you to think about how you were introduced to the gospel. I want you to think about the good news of Jesus, because I want you to ponder on that conversation, that probably somebody had that conversation with you. Maybe it was your parent, maybe it was a grandparent, maybe it was a pastor, but somebody was bold enough to speak truth to you. Somebody was bold enough to give you the good news and the truth. And then secondly, I want you to think about that person that God has already brought to your mind. That, that person has come to mind while I've been preaching and I'm certain the Lord has, has placed that image or placed that name on your mind. And maybe you think that they are beyond hope. But if God can bring the king of Babylon to a place where he was ready to hear to a place where he would give his life over to God, then I think your person deserves that chance as well. Maybe it was multiple names. Maybe it's a whole bunch of names that have come to your mind. Multiple people need to hear the good news. I want you to write their name as the Lord brings it to you on that card. And in the middle of this song, there'll be a time for us to respond as a congregation. And just like the band has already done, I want you to just come up and lay them on the altar. Our pastoral staff will take this, and yes, we will make a list. And you have our promise that we will be praying for everyone on this list. Because they're important enough to God. Because they deserve a chance. And who knows, as you tell that good news to somebody maybe on your list or maybe as you open up your mouth, you, that person might be on somebody else's list. Maybe they would give their life to Jesus. Maybe there might be a candle that would be lit to show you that God is still answering prayer. Would you worship with our band?
one of our kids in in kid zone abby is michael miller's daughter a couple weeks ago she responded to a message of pastor shauna and at the end of that message she went up to pastor shauna and said i want jesus in my heart i want to follow him i want to be baptized so we light this candle for abby today but there's many many others abby wasn't on the list yet but I know she's being prayed for by Pastor Sean. I know she's being prayed for by her dad. She responded to the gospel message. And maybe your person will be responding to the gospel message. So I want you just to, if you haven't already, go ahead and get up and bring that name to the, to the front. Go 
ahead and just lay their name down at, at the altar and at the end of our service, we will pray for them, but our staff is going to remember these names and we will have that list in front of us and we will be praying for them as I know that you will as well. So as the band is continuing the, this song, if you haven't already, go ahead and bring that name up. Let us pray for them. Let's bring them to God's attention. Would you stand and worship with us? pray together and maybe you'd like to come forward and just to lay your hands down at the altar or just be where you're standing place your hands out in front of you as if you're laying your hands on one of these people here if you'd like to come and represent or to, to pray for for any of these feel free to come forward and you can kneel or you can stand up here but let's bring all of these people to God's attention this morning Heavenly Father, we thank you for your message in Daniel. It is your message. We thank you, Lord, that you have the power to bring a great and powerful king to the point where he would cry out to you and declare that you are the Most High God and he is nothing in comparison to you. We thank you, Lord. We don't know the rest of Nebuchadnezzar's story. We don't know exactly what has happened to him in the ends of his life. But maybe he keeps that faith. And maybe, who knows, maybe someday if we go to heaven, we can meet him ourselves. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that is powerful enough that you continually draw your people towards you. Lord, our congregation has responded with the list of all of these names. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to bring these names. Each one of these people that are written on these cards here represent one of your creation. Somebody who you love so dearly. 
This is the easiest prayer to ever pray because we know that it is your desire for everyone to come to faith in you. And so, Lord, would you bring all of these people? We, we hate to see them reach rock bottom. And we have compassion on them that we don't want bad things to happen in their life. But even if they do, could they bring them to a closer walk with you? But Lord, we have even just a tiny bit of compassion on them. We would not want them to suffer in hell. And so Lord, would you make us bold? Would you give us words that don't easily come out of our mouth? Would you place us in the right place, in the right time, and to be able to recognize that you have your people where you need us? We need to open our mouths for you. Our job is to, is to proclaim your good news. Your job is to save. Thank you for working through us. It's a privilege to be part of the process, Lord. But we lift all of these people up to you. Lord, may you place them in, a, in an area where there is somebody that is bold enough with enough courage, with enough compassion, with enough conviction that they would speak to them and tell them about the good news of Jesus. Would you empower a believer with the words and the timing to just be in that place, obey your Holy Spirit, not worry about the consequences or what they might think of us or are they going to think we're crazy, but to be bold enough to tell them the good news. Lord, I pray for Abby. I pray, Lord, that you would walk with her. Thank you, Lord, for bringing her to the point where she wanted to give up her young life to you. Now help us, Lord, as a church to disciple her and disciple her well, to help her on her journey. And we look forward, Lord, to when this candle can be lit for others that are on this list. Lord, could we be so bold to say, we don't want to wait weeks and months for a candle to be lit. We want to see you answer prayers. Thank you, Lord, for continuing bringing people closer and closer to you. And thank you that you give us the honor of being part of the process. We love you, Jesus. We place all of these people into your hands and we fully trust you with them. And it's in your name that we pray and all of us say it together.